Thunder Media. As we continue our look at the strengths, weaknesses, opportunities and threats that supercars identified in 2009, are they still an opportunity? Are they still realising them? It's been a remarkable turnaround, hasn't it? Forward of famous for coming and going and coming and going. And it really is quite remarkable to see them investing as much. Has the time gone by? Ooh, I think credit where it's due that they have made some progress. Uh, the night racing at Eastern Creek and in Perth, definitely positive steps. Hi, I'm Chaz Mostert. Hi, I'm Shane Van Gisbergen. And you're listening to Inside Supercars. This program is brought to you by P1 Australia Racing Components, the designer of the oil heat mats for dry sump tank applications. Find out more about the truths on engine oil heating at p1australia.com. From the racetracks across Australia, and here's Inside Supercars. Tony Whitlock and Peter Norton will continue. One of the opportunities was to expand the regional market, domestic and international, Asian and UAE product requirements. Peter, we'll start with you. It was 2009 when they were looking at going overseas regularly. You enjoyed a couple of trips into the Middle East. And of course, we both enjoyed a trip to Austin not long after the Car of the Future was released. Uh, yes, Craig, th they were fabulous days, weren't they? Uh, everything was looking on the uh, up and up. Um, the, the, the one pity really was that trip to Austin that uh, they just didn't put on a show. It was a bit of a uh, routine race meeting uh, on the track. They didn't deliver the action and we didn't get to go back. But that, that was a bit of a shame, wasn't it? It was. And it the advertising, I guess this is where advertising in reality they showed a lot of big crashes, but we've seen on Grand Prix circuits, supercars do a lot of single-file racing. Yes, unfortunately, that was the case. But um, uh, putting that to one side, yes, it did look like there was great opportunities to expand uh, into the region uh, and uh, you know, try to get some of that, uh, that money that some of the emerging countries uh, uh, were willing to spend to uh, raise their profile internationally, to create tourism, all of that kind of stuff. Um, so it's interesting thinking about, is that a thing now? Um, a lot of countries need to re, uh, f refire up their tourism after COVID uh, disruptions and all of those sorts of things. Um, however, I suppose the real challenge at the moment is just the cost of freight and travel. Uh, that would appear to be a barrier for some of these things. Indeed. And, and yeah, look, it, it was a great opportunity for the series to get a benchmark for itself, really, again, you know, particularly going somewhere like uh, Circuit of the Americas, because... Uh, and it was interesting finding out in hindsight that uh, uh, Circuit of the Americas needed supercars because before they'd get full accreditation for F1, they had to run major race meetings, which ended up being MotoGP and uh, uh, supercars. Um, but uh, look, I, I think the, uh, the chances for the series to travel again are probably gone. Um, 
there's obviously uh, developments uh, around New Zealand now because um, with uh, uh, Pukekohe, um on on no life span left in it, um, there are obviously an opportunity for another track to replace Pookie and potentially uh, maybe even a second event, which has been mooted for some years. And that's certainly an opportunity because there is obviously a large pent-up demand. You know, with three New Zealanders in the series now and, and Greg Murphy still being as popular as he is, I think that that's a grand opportunity. And the biggest one that really they should be uh, chasing uh, is expansion New Zealand and, and obviously, as you mentioned, regional expansion. Is even a problem just getting to New Zealand in 2022? Yes, yes, we've heard a fair bit that uh, the increased uh, freight costs there, rumoured to be a million dollars or more, um, was a real threat to the event. But so it's pleasing that we're at least uh, jumping across the ditch there uh, to continue that uh, that tradition. Um, I, I think it's going to be a struggle uh, for them to get into the you know, Southeast Asian markets Um we're racing vehicles that probably don't connect that well to to those countries. They're not vehicles that they buy and drive every day. Uh, and there's plenty of competition in other categories. Uh, however, I suppose on the flip side of that is Formula One. Uh, the, the motor racing seems to be flavour of the month for, for many countries and uh, as a, as a growing, uh, further growing sport. Um, so this one's hard to tell, but my gut says it's going to be a struggle. There has been a lot of talk since uh, Shane Howard took over about links with Formula One and creating overseas opportunities. It's hard to see based on the previous experiences, but you would think that the category has got something that people want, that NASCAR-type car being able to race on circuits that they're familiar with. I'll be the devil's advocate here. Um, the, uh, the Porsche Carrera Cup, um, they're, they're uh, aspirational cars. Um, if they could get a roster of drivers that were known throughout the Southeast Asian region, um, there's a real threat to supercars and their growth plans. Um and a, a Porsche is more universally known in terms of the, the shape and the brand, um, whereas you know, some of the, 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 as you said, the American brand um, may or may not connect as well. We look at our next opportunity identified, and it was create long-term agreements with Ford, Holden, and or any new or allow any new manufacturers to compete yeah, and in fact, you know, the end of uh, manufacturing was something I'm sure that uh, Tony Cochran, even in his most pessimistic view of the world, would not have foreseen. You know, the likelihood of manufacturing ending was certainly not on the radar of many people, say, uh, even 15 years ago. But that's changed, and so the series in itself changed. That long traditional blue versus red thing is no longer. Um, certainly people still line up in the same way they always did and the Allegiance will move across to a Chev Camaro from a Commodore. It's going to be an interesting challenge. Another manufacturer does at some stage see value in getting involved in the series. You know, we, uh, we've we had a number of different makers, Nissan being the other really major one. Volvo had a short dalliance. Mercedes were never here as a manufacturer, just 
you know, somebody's uh, shopping trolley looking for a run for a few years. It was good to see another brand in there, and certainly uh, Mercedes Australia never really uh, put their arms around the brand, but. Yes, it's a shame that they didn't stay and they couldn't uh, connect with some of the other brands, isn't it? Um, I think this one is uh, puts down to, gee, they tried. Uh, they made some progress, but it just didn't stick. And I think it's going to be uh, harder and harder. Um, there was talk for Generation 3 and whether that would attract new manufacturers. Um, Walkinshaw uh, knocked on many doors and, okay, they've had a change, but only between the two existing players. So uh, I think this one's going to continue to be difficult. Uh, the new brands, the people who are trying to buy market share and brand awareness, they're probably the hybrids or electrical cars now. Uh, so uh, I'm not sure if this is going to be a happy hunting ground for them. Uh, chances for the future. I don't think there's going to be a rush to get involved, but there may be given the right incentives and uh, impetus to get a manufacturer in there. You would say, though, that they managed to repair some problems they had with Ford, particularly leading into the Mustang. And if you had to bet between his Ford's relationship or the GM relationship harder in 2022 or more solid, you'd be leaning towards the Ford relationship is the stronger of the two. And I don't think in 2009 before 2009 and after, you would have ever said that about Ford and supercars or Ford and motorsport. It's been a remarkable turnaround, hasn't it, Craig? Yeah, Ford are famous for coming and going and coming and going, and it really is quite remarkable to see them investing as much. Uh, and, and it's consistently in many, many markets around the world. Uh, Mustang, uh, they're, they're built to be that sort of global uh, performance uh, hero car for the brand, uh, which is, of course, I'm very pleased to uh, to, to see and hear that kind of stuff, uh, being a, a Mustang driver myself. But, uh, yeah, you would never have predicted it. Uh, Holden was always the, the more solid, consist, consistent uh, player in the, in the market and in the sport. Uh, so, yes, it is interesting looking back and considering how things have changed. Uh, and I don't see how... Uh, Chevy or, or GM uh, are going to grow and fill uh, the, the 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 place that Holden left uh, to the to full capacity that they previously had. I mean, it's that thing, you know. We saw manufacturing in, but then we've seen the Holden brand disappear, and that's the most extraordinary thing, really, as part of that uh, uh, is the demise of a brand, a brand that you know in our lifetime, you know, was was uh, as rusted on as we thought as it could be. But clearly uh, General Motors, in their wisdom, have seen no value in keeping that brand alive. Uh, it's hard to believe that a manufacturer who had so much invested in that has walked so quickly away. Uh, and I know there's a bunch of dealers in this country who are now certainly bitten. Dealers who'd spent millions promoting the Holden brand in their area and then left. The Camaro seems to be a car that doesn't have a future. It, that's right. Uh, I understand that it's uh, no longer available here, that they're no longer doing the conversions. Uh, people are much more excited about the Corvette, um, and understandably so. Um, but unfortunately, the Corvette doesn't slot in to supercars. No, and it's going to be tough to see what might be the GM offering moving forward. If 
the age-old opportunity is expanded TV coverage. Now, they said domestic and international create greater primetime events. This in 2009, I don't think was ever realised to the potential that was envisaged. I mean, which was always one of those strange things when we looked at the expansion that went on in Abu Dhabi and Bahrain and Shanghai. Um, none of them suited uh, to be in prime time uh, in Australia. Um, and even going the other direction, when, when Circle of the Americas were, was on the horizon, and it, it just didn't fit. Um, so it was hard to see as to how that could be sold. But, uh, I mean, the next big deal, and it's interesting to look, as I've talked several times about, the fact that the Nine Network has uh, hired a, a young journalist to increase their motorsport coverage um, I mean, I'm sure that uh, Simon Chapman will be working on other sports, but the fact that they've hired somebody specifically to bring motorsport knowledge to that channel, that network, I think is a very interesting development and one that will obviously be worth watching in the near future. Ooh, I think credit where it's due that they have made some progress. Uh, the night racing at Eastern Creek and in Perth is definitely positive steps. Now, most of the uh, tracks that we race at uh, don't lend themselves to night racing and getting into prime time, but I, I think that they've made more progress there than perhaps we might have expected back in 2009. I think you're being overly generous. 2009, and when was the first Eastern Creek night race? 2019? That's almost 10 years later. I think... You know, your three strategic plans and three SWOT analysis, um, you know, <laughs> start and finished by that stage. Well, they had to find a, a circuit that wanted to invest in the infrastructure. But mm. considering Supercar's first ever race was a day-nighter, it was oh, a yes. long time between drinks. It was a, an unrealised goal for a long time. Uh, it sure was that 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 uh, was it at Calder Park, the the, the first night race. Um, yes, uh, they're really going back in the history books there. Um, yes, Craig, you're right that the, the progress has been more recent. Um, yeah, and 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 whether that uh, is an outcome of this original plan from 2009 uh, or an outcome of, of more recent stuff. Um, yeah, I, I can see your angle there. Well, let's go and look at the media landscape in 2009, because when we fast forward to 2022, it is very different. And the opportunity was increased media acceptance. News and sports editors pushed nationally, recognised as a genuine top-level sport. That one is a definite fail in my mind. Uh, yes, uh, I think if you only watch the Seven Network, then you would go, "Oh, they've made a bit of progress." It does get onto the, uh, you know, the breakfast TV and and into the the news bulletins on a you know, somewhat regular basis, uh, particularly uh, around major launches or uh, uh, throughout a, a race weekend. But uh, if you watch any other uh, uh, other channel, uh, if you pick up a lot of newspapers. Um, 
we haven't really made much progress there. Um, yeah, it's tough. The ball sports win. Uh, and, uh, and if you think about it, that's uh, the, the AFL, the NRL, the soccer, uh, and maybe this week, golf. Uh, that, uh, yeah, if it's round, uh, uh, completely round, not, not just round like a tyre with uh, square edges, um, it needs to be completely round for the uh, uh, sports editors to pay attention. Indeed, and still to this day, of course, so often we see if there's a major crash, um, you know, or, or the uh, um, the incident with uh, uh, Steve Pasquale and, and Dag Isbergen at uh, Townsville, that got played on Nine News, whereas it didn't get a, a mention on Ten. Now, Ten's uh, not great on covering uh, domestic sport unless they're doing it themselves. That being soccer at the moment um so you know the way in which different channels move around different sports is always interesting and obviously you know there's things up in the air at the moment because the afl contract is coming aren't coming up for renewal a lot rides on that because that's the biggest sport contract in this country and so the the playoff from that will be the development that we'll see for the future coverage of motorsport in this country now is this a case where perhaps they've managed on a Pareto basis so the the top 80% uh, sorry the top 20% of outlets get 80% of their interest whereas they really need to be fostering in the younger journalists and the younger people because eventually they become the sports editors um it does need a, a revised strategy. And I was just thinking, uh, hang on, we're worried about uh, not getting into the newspapers. Who reads a newspaper anyway? Um, maybe the uh, alternative strategy, perhaps the better strategy, is uh, you know, social media and electronic media uh, rather than uh, being too worried about the, the old print media. Which would then say, what is supercars.com's role in it? And how does the sports website gain recognition nationally of the sport being a top-level sport? You're preaching to the converted there. Uh, yes, and I, I just thought of a, a new threat for them. Uh, as you invest more and more on social media channel, channels, um, let's cast our minds back a little bit to the great Facebook uh, switch-off where Facebook turned off uh, the, the feeds of uh, many uh, media-like organisations. It wasn't just the newspapers that got turned off. Uh, anything that looked like a, a newspaper um, no longer could use Facebook as a channel. Uh, thankfully, that got resolved because that was very, very damaging to so many businesses. Um, but it just highlights the threat that if you uh, uh, yeah, hit yourself to the, the Facebook or, or one of the other uh, platforms, um, you're, at, you're very vulnerable to what they do and what they change to their algorithms. Um, yeah, that's a, a tricky landscape. We're still on opportunities now. The next one was increased awareness of telecast times, more rigid schedule of events to aid series momentum. That was 2009. In 2022, have they even got close to achieving that? No, they certainly haven't. And uh, um, I don't think there was enough coverage of the fact that Townsville was a free-to-air. Um, it's it two hit and miss as to 
when it's on KO or Fox um, versus the free-to-air. Now, obviously, Bathurst is still, because of the anti-siphoning laws, it's still free-to-air, but there just should be more done to promote it uh, when it is on that uh, seven network. Um, And obviously, even that weekend, they messed it about between the seven three mate and the main channel seven because of AFL coverage, which is this whole thing that has been talked about for years, is getting motorsport in Australia out of the winter cluster of having to go up against AFL, NRL. You know, get it into the summer months. Get it when people are more attuned to the idea of watching motor racing. Of course, there's a pandemic in the middle of all of this, which uh, uh, made a bit of a mess of things. I think you'd have to say they're struggling on that uh, the last couple of years due to COVID. But I think also this year, the the, the schedule of rounds that were going to be on free-to-air, I I believe, changed. Um, We've got a calendar that... Uh, we got halfway through the year before they could confirm certain events. Um, you know, Newcastle was still uh, listed as an event on the website there for, for so, so long. Um, so it's not just about telecast times. It was the shape of the calendar was so fluid and, and hard to uh, really uh, commit to. Uh, so there was plenty of challenges that popped up there. I think it's a, an opportunity for them to do better on. And pre-pandemic... You wouldn't say that you knew every second Saturday you're going to get a a sprint race and every second Sunday you're going to get two sprint races. You'd be lucky to know when and where it was on. Uh, Well, uh, I I know I pay attention to the sport a great deal and it still confuses me what race format is going to be on on which weekend. Uh, But maybe I'm just a bit silly. Well... As we look through the opportunities that supercars identified in 2009, technically improve the quality of racing. More overtaking, less anticipated result. I think that one has been an interesting one because have we technically, have we seen a technical improvement of the quality of racing? Ooh, uh, the short answer is obviously no. Uh, uh, Gen 3 being delayed by the 12 months, uh, one of the greatest disappointments about that necessary decision was that um, we had another season with the cars that have too much aero uh, and we were stuck with all of the technical uh, challenges and, and, and the frustrations about the quality of the racing for an extra 12 months Um yeah, that, that was a little bit heartbreaking, for, I think, for the fans uh, that uh, the, the year was going to be quite predictable. Uh, and, well, uh, even until the, the last couple of laps of the uh, Sunday race at Townsville, I think we're all ruining the, the fact that uh, it was still the case. Um, we're still going to get the occasional uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, bold move to, uh, you know, is it, is it on, is it not? Uh, uh but it becomes the exception to the rule, uh, particularly, uh, you know, credit to Triple Eight. Uh, they're, they're the masters of the current beast uh, and they're really, really hard to beat. Uh, and it makes the quality of the racing a little bit routine, doesn't it? Yeah, it, it, and it is a real problem, I mean, because even amongst people I know, of course, who are either involved in the sport, working in it, or very keen on it, and they just constantly, oh, it's another Triple Eight weekend, or it's a, you know, that uh, apart from that period when Scotty McLaughlin and uh, the DJR 
10 Penske cars were dominant for that three years or four years, uh, people switch off in large numbers when it is so predictable. And much as you and I would both believe in many tens of thousands of others that Shane's a fantastic driver, the whole juggernaut of Triple Eight, I think it is is going to possibly lead to the, uh, the severe decline of the series because if it is too predictable, they won't come and watch it. This was identified four years before the car of the future was introduced. And so you would have thought that here's the opportunity. Four years' time, we've got the next car coming out. After year one, I don't think anyone anticipated anyone but Triple Eight winning for a long, long time. Yes, I, I think, uh, I mean, plenty has been said uh, recently about Gen 3 that uh, the design of it perhaps was too heavily skewed for the, uh, you know, the, the interest of the engineers and the people that love the gadgets and going faster. Uh, maybe more uh, seats around that table needed to be the bean counters uh, and the, the TV uh, uh, crews and, and, you know, the people who are trying to put on a show uh, trying to you know strip it back and and get the you know old-fashioned racing going better, uh, and unfortunately it has been that tech more and more technical part. Leading in now as we are towards the bend, everyone's pumping up. This is a Ford circuit. This is a Ford circuit. So it's good that different circuits have different characteristics that suit one car or the other, but it. it if it's that predictable that the Holden doesn't have a chance, then that would be a uh, turn off as well. Yeah, indeed, indeed. Um, and I mean, there is still that situation. We have far too many teams that have on and off rounds. I mean, whether it's Team Eighteen, um, uh, Erebus, um, Tickford. You know, they had Walkinshaws as well. Too many of these teams that can be good at one round, not so good the next one. I mean, we were used to a time, for instance, when Gary Rogers was in the series, and traditionally they just didn't do very well on widened circuits. They liked the street circuits. They liked the curbs to bounce over and things like that. Um, but even they, you know, became far more consistent over their lifespan. Um, but now we're seeing it's way too much uh, turn on, turn off. And I think that's a turn off for people. Is they can't if they can't see the team that they're wanting to follow and barrack for regularly being up there. By crikey, they get disenchanted. It's the same. The AFL season at the moment is wonderfully unpredictable. You cannot from one weekend to the next see who's going to be beating who, and that's important thing to happen, and that hasn't happened in supercars for far too long where we have people bobbing up. I mean, when Erebus and Dave Reynolds won back in 2017, that was like a giant lift of series. People realised that, by crikey, there's other people who can win these things. Talking about bean counters, our final opportunity we're going to look at is probably the one that everyone says with a laugh, reduce cost. Yes. Uh, what more can you say? The, the engineers who uh, do a fabulous job in uh, the innovation and the new ideas 
unfortunately, that got you know, hard-coded into the rules for the car of the future uh, and now Gen 3. Uh, so uh, it's, yeah, a, an epic fail on that front. Uh, I think there needed to be some more hardline decisions by people that uh, you know, were looking at the show and looking at the cost. Yeah, well, maybe that was the, uh, they knew exactly what was going to be happening. I mean, I, I have, I don't want to cast any aspersions on the capabilities of Adrian Burgess or any of the people involved in it, but one of the great dilemmas for our series and the series I've spent 25 years traveling the country around. Um, so I, I, you know, I don't think people can question my commitment to it, but is putting people in charge who are used to working with far bigger budgets, people who have unlimited budgets, shall we say. From Formula One, people who have been in working for car manufacturers that have unlimited budgets to chase world championships. And they're not the ones who should be designing the cars. I'm not suggesting that the man in charge of it should have been doing sprint car racing out the back of uh, um, Wrackmobile. Um, because his budget would be non-existent. But somebody who was not from the world of Formula One, somebody who did not sort of think that we just need to throw money at the situation. When I hear that there is possibly going to be a water-cooled um, pedal box um, in one of the cars because of the problem of driver, um, you know, obviously being fatigued by having overheated feet, you know, water coolant, the, the pedal box, I mean, it, it's an extraordinary thing. Um, and, and I just think that things are going seriously wrong when that sort of consideration is being used. And it comes into, isn't the opportunity to turn the sport into TA2, which is timely? <laughs> um, <laughs> you, you're right. Uh, uh, the, they have become a bit defensive about some of the other categories that could steal their lunch. Uh, and, you know, really it's really it's their own fault for, for over-specifying what they want to race. Yes, definitely looks like they might not have uh, really hit the money on the head with Car of the Future, and all we can hope is the lessons learnt there aren't forgotten for this next-gen car? I mean, from what we're hearing, and particularly from the drivers talking about it, um, and, you know, even as recently in the last weeks or so, we've been hearing about the more developments going on with Gen 3, you know, uh, making them far more uh, simpler um, to work on, far more simpler to uh, access and change things. I mean, that's all terrific to hear, so long as it's not increasing the cost. Because, you know, if the telephone numbers that are being mooted for what it's going to cost to put a Gen 3 car on the, on the track, then by, by crikey, you can understand why people are going to be balking at it. Well, it's been fascinating to chat with you both about the uh, opportunities that Supercars foresaw in 2009. And I think we generally agree that most of these opportunities are still available to them now. Oh, yes, indeed. Uh, we're, we're waiting to see the, the, the innovation and the new ideas and the new energy from the new owners. Um, there's plenty on the list here that they can pick up and run with. Uh, and who knows, they may come in with some uh, things that we haven't even thought about yet. 
I think what many people are observing, though, is um, them stepping up and uh, announcing their clever ideas. It's getting a little bit overdue. So we'd love to hear from them. Well, that's where we'll wrap up this look at the opportunities of 2009 here on Inside Supercars. And before we go, Tony, the Australian motorsport and particularly the media landscape has been, well, saddened by the loss of Max Stahl. Max Stahl, a publisher who had a very diverse career, but mostly remembered for racing car news. And I don't think you can understate just how many people are in motorsport because of publications like Racing Car News. Max developed uh, his format and his style of the magazine. It was such a wonderful piece. The highly evocative uh, paintings, drawings, illustrations that the front covers were, um, it set the magazine apart. If he couldn't get a, a photograph of it, he just had these wonderful illustrations that were so evocative and sold the story of motor racing so well. Um, it had a very um, strict format in, in terms of the way they covered race meetings. They didn't do a lot of in-depth sort of things um, covering any uh, sort of major subjects, but they did cover motorsport around the world and they covered it in the timely fashion that was that era. And that was that you'd go and get... Um, that month's uh, uh, racing car news and it would cover the race meetings of the previous month and it was a terrific read. I I was brought and in, in highly um, motivated to, to go to race meetings to see and hear the people, you know, the, the shots of Norm Beachy's uh, Shell Monaro on the cover and it just wonderful times. I, I so can remember it. And, yeah, Max was a great man. He's, his son, Michael, has... Uh, long been a major member of the Australian motoring uh, media and has done a fantastic job for a long time, in many ways uh, surpassing the coverage of his father because he uh, has written for both the magazines, Wheels Motor, as well as the major publications online and uh, and certainly the daily newspaper. So I'm very sad to hear of Max's uh, demise, but um, uh, strong memories for everyone who ever saw a copy of Racing Car News. Indeed, and uh, Max was inducted into the Board Hall of Fame about two years ago, and rightly so, to his wife and three children and grandchildren, great-grandchildren, we send our thoughts to them. We'll be back in our next show to look at what could be the most interesting one of the three, The Threats. Inside Supercars is produced by Thunder Media. Tune in next time for more or lock in the podcast on your iTunes or mobile device. Search Inside Supercars. The views expressed on Inside Supercars, including the panellists and guests, do not reflect the views of the network, Thunder Media or Sport Radio. Any publication or rebroadcast of the show without the expressed written permission of Thunder Media is strictly prohibited.